0: You have
1: three voicemails. It's one of the biggest issues that you have to think about when you want to have a family when you're gay, right? Uh, how do you want to have the kid?
2: Can we have a name for this person, please, so that we don't? Let's
1: just say my boyfriend. So if I break up with this one, I don't have to... <laughs> to. You get a substitute that with anyone, anybody. She thought that my boyfriend <laughs> induced <laughs> me into the
3: dark side. hello there welcome to the show where we have the convos about vietnam you know hello there welcome to convo comrades a conversation with the community about vietnam this is the third episode with our golden guest kian in our first episode we discovered kian's journey into in the first episode. Oh my god.
2: <laughs> Into the world of LGBT. <laughs> all right, we're definitely going to keep this in. <laughs> uh, for, for some context, before we clicked record, Long was screaming out, Are you guys all ready? <laughs> Alright, Long is clearly ready.
3: All right, yes, let me do that again. Episode one, we talked about uh, Ken's journey when he grows up and the challenges that he faced, his self-discovery. And in the second episode, uh, we, we dig deep. Yeah, that's right. We dug deep <laughs> now. We dug deep into the LGBT concepts, diving into what each really meant and just to provide a general high-level education to everyone who is involved, including myself. I learned a lot in the second episode. So check out those two episodes for some context, guys. And in this episode, we're going to talk about Kian's journey as a legal enthusiast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God, that's probably the worst intro ever. Thank so, you so much, Long.
3: So wait, wait, I need to finish that. This episode, we're going to talk about Kian's career in law and how he found the transition moving back from the UK to Vietnam. And we begin.
2: So Kian, it seems like you studied law in university. What brought you to the field?
1: Um, my decision to do law was not really my... Own. I think I stumbled across it with some nudging from my dad. I think it was in A level, uh, during my last year, you know, picking out the options, what I wanted to do. Um, I what I initially wanted to do was psychology. I loved it. I was doing it for a level, so I really wanted mm-hmm. to do psychology. Um, I think my dad didn't share the same enthusiasm that I have mm. for psychology. One day he came up with this article a news article and he, and he was like, oh, look at this. The prime minister is saying, their goal within the next 10 years is to have 50 lawyers who can participate in international trials for Vietnam. So great. was <laughs> like, okay, imagine how great this is if, if you can be one of the 50s, okay. Do you want to do law? It's like, okay, fine, let's do law. So I think that's how I, 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 I did law. That was uh, mm -hmm.
2: relatively easy to convince you. Yeah, I think
1: (laughs) I didn't really have anything that I was really passionate about. Except psychology. Psychology, I wasn't that passionate about. It was just something I was doing during my A levels, and I Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it as a as a subject. And I only enjoyed certain aspects of it, not everything about it. So really, I didn't Mm -hmm. have anything that I was super enthusiastic or passionate about. It was sort of a you know much needed not really to give me a direction of what to do. Because otherwise I think would end up doing something that every other Vietnamese people were doing. So, you know, accounting and finance and then
2: business and then economy. You took a stab at Long there, but okay. I know, I know,
1: those those, those kind of things. And I think I would have hated it because I don't think I would have enjoyed doing accounting. I I didn't enjoy doing law anyway, but I I, I, I enjoyed (laughs) it more than accounting.
2: It seems like you're more of a qualitative person than a quantitative person, would you say so?
1: Wait, what's a qualitative qualitative person?
2: Okay, so you're not a qualitative person as well then. (laughs) 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 A qualitative person is like someone who deals with words and documents and essays, and quantitative is just with numbers and calculations.
1: That is actually, you know, I've been a quantitative person. I think I'm still a very quantitative person. It's just that I didn't want to, I didn't want anything to do with that anymore after
0: uh, Mm -hmm. my levels.
1: Because I I was doing math since my third grade. So I was in like, math specialized classes and schools ever since third grade. So yeah, and then physics, that's why I did four levels as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So throughout all that, I've been doing like, you know, natural science, yeah, up until university, where I, you know, changed completely to law. Uh, That's quite a seismic shift, isn't it? I so. know. I think when when I wanted to do when I picked out my, my subjects for my A level so for for context, I was doing maths, physics, ecology, and business studies. So I think maths mm-hmm. is just something that everybody does, right? So you have to yeah. do maths. Um, physics was something that I was not the best at, but as if I remember correctly, I was quite doing quite well in school before I make I made the move to the UK. So I think I, I, I that stayed on. Um, business studies because we I expected and contemplated that that would be something that I'd be going into in, in university. So I I chose that, and then psychology was just something that I felt fun doing. So I picked that out as the fourth one because I didn't want to do anything else. Yeah, so that's the reason why I was still doing math and physics until until a levels until up until the point where i went to university my parents are very again this is where they are quite conservative so they took the view that guys and men should be in you know natural sciences right physics chemistry biology
0: mm, math
1: so um that's what they've been trying to get me to do since i was very small Mm. so i was Directed in that route, that math specialized route. Um, mm. I don't, so I think I became not, again, not the best, but I, I was okay in that, so that I just kept doing it, right? Mm. But I don't think I, I enjoyed doing it. I, I didn't enjoy physics at all, I didn't enjoy math, I, I certainly didn't enjoy chemistry. Um, so I didn't want to, anything to do with, you know, those those things after a levels so I knew for sure that I was moving into a social science for for university. Mm. I just didn't know what. So that's when the question of oh what to do came into you know into the picture. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough though, psychology was counted as a natural science, as a science subject for um for university, for Warwick. Okay. Yeah. But um and we I think me made that we had disagreement on psychology, on the career prospects afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, So we couldn't agree on that. So I think uh, we'll be on law. A lot of the people I met nowadays are, you know, young kids, you know, students. You know, I tell people that I I work at Baker McKenzie and a lot of people wanted to talk about career. Mm -hmm. A lot of them take interest in law because of, you know, these courtroom dramas, you know, suits, things like that.
0: Uh So
1: it, it has that glamorous sort of appeal to it. Right. Yep. I didn't, I, I was not exposed to any of that at the point where I was picking out subjects for university, where I was do law. The only reason why I was doing law was that one news article that my dad randomly found, um, I think it was on the internet. That he said it's Um, yeah. So that came to me, I think a bit of, a little bit of, I didn't know what I really wanted to do and mm-hmm. my dad knew what he wanted me to do. Okay. So
2: that. He ended up doing law. Okay, that makes sense. So law then. Law academically, let's go for that first before we go into the career. Can you break down the academic, I don't know, components of law? What sort of law do you study? What types of different law courses?
1: I had a BA in Law and Business Studies. So it's a um, dual major. Mm. Uh, So I did both law modules and business studies modules for law. In the UK, if you want to have a qualifying degree in law, you have to do certain subjects. So I, I'm just going to look at my bookshelf and tell you what the subjects are. So I don't know, like, top law, contract law, lab law, administrative law, that's a list of them, criminal law, things like that.
0: Yeah.
2: So
1: all of that you have to do if you want to have a qualifying degree in law. Uh-huh. So
2: I had to do all of that. So it's quite broad across. A number of That's areas. right, yeah. that's right. I don't think
1: you were supposed to be having a specialised area of law that you are focused on okay. when you are um, doing a law degree in university in the UK at least. You're supposed to be doing everything mm-hmm. and then you pick up and you specialise afterwards.
2: Mm. How do you determine which area you want to specialise in then for your case?
1: Mm. I'm, I'm not a passionate person at all when it comes to law so I actually, I thought I was going to do when, when I wrote my personal statement for the for university, right, I wrote about, oh, I'm, I want to be that, one of those 50 <laughs> international lawyers for Vietnam, right? Yeah. So I think throughout my law academic life, I picked out things that I think would be helpful for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In university, you have to do everything, right? Yeah. But after university, I did um, the legal practice course, which is the... Basically, the lawyer's training course uh, in the UK. And then I did a master's of law. So for my legal practice course, there are two parts. The first part is like lawyer skill. You have to do everything. So they teach you a lot of things. Uh, it's the same for everyone. So accounting for solicitor, um, ethics, uh, a bunch of things like business registrations and things like that. Yep. But then for the second steps, for the second stage, uh, you're supposed to pick up three elections. Hmm. So I think I picked out commercial law, alternative dispute resolution, and then something about international trade law.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: again, that's what I thought I would be doing to become one of the 50 international lawyers of Vietnam. But then somehow I didn't stick with that when I when I went, uh, joined Baker McKenzie. I joined Baker McKenzie and I was put on an M&A, which is fine because I also picked M&A as one of the things to study. Yeah. Um, But then I think just by chance though, um, I was assisting my current supervisor with, you know, a random assignment and she specialized in banking and finance. And afterwards, you know, she kept me on and we've been working together ever since. And it's been almost five years. And that's how I made the move from randomly doing things like trade law, like studying about trade law and dispute resolution and commercial into actually doing banking and finance without having any background in banking finance at all. Okay. So it, it was quite a weird move, to be quite honest. And, and it was a very challenging to make that move, especially because I just came back from the UK to Vietnam. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, to be quite honest, the, the, the legal system between Vietnam and the UK are quite different. But I didn't have any training in Vietnamese law at all. So it was quite a difficult move to have that. And on top of that, going into a... Field in law that I have absolutely no knowledge about, so it took a lot of efforts, right? Um, but yeah, you know, with a lot of efforts and a lot of support, um, I got where I wanted to. Then I, I keep thinking about what I did in university and what I did in my post-ones degrees, right? If I knew that I was going to be doing banking and finance, I would have picked up my subjects and would have picked up my concentrated area differently.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you had known that, then you'd be rich. So it's fine. Yeah. At least you still study law. (laughs) Um, Okay, so there are so many questions that I have now. So, for example, the first one, you studied law in the UK Mm. and then you went back to Vietnam to pursue a career in law, Mm. but it's in a slightly different area of law, right? In banking, finance, M&A. Yeah. It seems like there are two main differences here. The main difference in legislature, but also the main difference in industry. How do you cope with that?
1: Oh, uh, not well. I think actually, for, with both of them, the only way to go is forward, really. You just have to grin and bear it and just try to learn as much as you can um, on the job and then spend time, you know, on your own free time trying to, it sounds cliche, but in your own time, try to get as much knowledge as you can. I think, I again, I think overall, I'm a very lucky person. My supervisor, she was quite supportive. What she did was, um, she made me proofread all of these like advices, right? So that's one of the way that as you proofread, you have to read the advice and see whether it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And in doing that, you unconsciously get some, you know, foundation knowledge. yeah. And that's one of the way that she suggested that I could do to help with the transition the change in industry was not that important. At the end of the day, it's still a difference in legislation and different in systems in law, which I didn't know anything in Vietnam anyway, because I didn't have any Vietnamese law background. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I don't think the change in, in industry would have made as much a difference as the change in the legal system, actually, because um, a lot of things operate differently. A lot of Basic concept are different between you know English law and Vietnamese law, mm-hmm. so you tr- you kind of have to like adapt and try to forget what you learn mm-hmm. in the UK while you do law in Vietnam.
2: That's a shame. But okay, so you spent was it six or seven years of studying law in the UK? Six years. Okay, six years. How did it feel? I am wondering, you coming back to get a job in in Vietnam? Did it feel like? I'm playing scenarios here, okay? On the one hand, you can feel like you're very intimidated because it's a completely different environment. You don't know anyone. It's a new language. It's a different language than the one that you're used to. And then on the other hand, you can feel like, I've got six years of education in one of the most prestigious countries in the world when it comes to education. And I've done six years of academic law experience, and my English is probably much better than most people in Vietnam, you know, that's the sort of feeling that you can get, right? I'm playing scenarios here. Mm. Where do you sit in that spectrum?
1: Oh, I can tell you, I've never felt anywhere close to the second (laughs) scenario at all. Okay. I've always felt very, you know, intimidated. I think up until today as well, I still think, because the foundations are different, right? To do law, you kind of need to have that, foundation in that basic concept. It, it, it's quite funny for me, who's been doing Vietnamese law for almost five years to be saying this, but once in a while, I still feel that I'm still lacking some of that pieces of the foundation core principles of Vietnamese law. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a disadvantage I have against my colleagues, even people who are younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Now that I've built up for myself quite you know, a certain level of knowledge when it comes to Vietnamese law, uh, but still, you need that foundation, right? Mm-hmm. For me, though, there is no other way to get it except, you know, doing it on my own. I mean, of course, you can just, you know, enroll in like these night classes and do a second degree or something, but I think that's too much work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the foundations are very important because it affects your, your approach to the le- legislations as well. Because legislations are issued and are drafted based on the basic principles of law and on generally the regulators view on certain things and detect on certain things, right? So for certain issues, you know that that's their view, even though it may be unclear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It may get too technical, but for example, Vietnam has very strict foreign exchange control. Mm. When you look at Vietnamese legislations on foreign exchange, you always have to keep that in mind because you know that they don't want you to be using foreign exchange, they want you to be using Vietnamese stone and control the use of foreign exchange, things like that. Mm. So that's what I've learned after a few years of working and that's how I made myself think after a few years now, every time I look at legislations, especially when it comes to like unclear issues.
0: Okay.
2: But you, you don't
1: have that in English in, in law. So you have to learn to
0: forget all of that.
2: I, I think that makes sense. I'm just trying to think here. So what's the advantage then of someone like you who have spent six years in the UK to study law and have come back to Vietnam over someone who spent all their lives studying law in Vietnam? Aside from the language.
1: Oh, aside from the
2: language. Okay, caught your card
1: there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say
1: (laughs) the language. (laughs) But I want to tell you this: kids nowadays really good. Like the younger they get, the better they reach.
2: In Vietnam or the ones going overseas?
1: In Vietnam. Okay. Mm. Like even though they have never
2: spent, they have never went abroad to study at all. Mm -hmm. Their English is really good. Are they able to follow this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Make sure you refer the podcast to them. Okay, sorry. Continue.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, because we 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 have to work about eighty five percent of the time. Our work is in English, mm-hmm. so when we try to get you know batches of interns coming in uh, and newcomers, you know, we have to test them on English. Right, and you know they just keep getting better. That's what I feel. Like the English keeps getting better. I had an intern who was born in two thousand and one. Bloody hell! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, she, I asked her about her IELTS, just like randomly, I yeah, was just asking her about her IELTS. So the English was really good. So she was in her second year in, in university, um, when she was interning. So I asked, Oh, what's your, have you done your IELTS? And she said, Oh, no, I haven't, no, I haven't done my IELTS since like 11th grade. Uh, how much did you get? Like what grade? I think she got like a, an eight or something in 11th grade. Whoa. And then I, yeah. And I was complimenting on that. And she said, Oh, it's, it's, it's a normal thing. Like, Everybody's kinda of getting that. So it's like, wow. So
3: yeah. I had an eight. Really? When I could be your intern. <laughs> <laughs> Also okay. when I was uh 11th grade. So yes, yes, same with her.
2: Kid is so lost for words now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. You know like you can you can bring him in. Yeah, you can bring him in as your intern and then he can play with that uh, colleague of yours. <laughs> they can make then.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think my colleague will really enjoy that. But yeah, I so I have that language edge over some of my colleagues. A little bit of an edge, but I don't think I have much of that now. aside from that I can't really think of anything that's given me
2: Are you am I right am I right to say that you're dissuading parents now <laughs> from sending their kids overseas <laughs> to pursue a law degree if it means that studying in Vietnam will be more advantageous if they're gonna pursue a career in law in Vietnam. <laughs> I, I am I right to say that?
1: What I'm saying is if you know that you will immediately move back to Vietnam to practice law, then I think you shouldn't go to the UK or the US to study law.
2: That's quite a statement.
0: <laughs>
1: is,
2: is that your case?
1: Yeah. But it seems logical. Yeah, but I think the, the edge that I, I may have over some of my colleagues are, you know, the language, which is, you know, people keep getting better. And um, that's it, and then...
2: Is there any skill set edge? So for example, in the UK, the education system will force you to be more critical, more debatable in your thinking, not accepting things for what they are. Do you sense that at all, or no?
1: No, I don't think so. I think critical thinking—it's a—it's a learned skill that you will learn quite quickly. If you—if you work in legal, you will be required to have that. Um, so, if I were management, I would have to be certain that oh, this person I'm hiring has a certain level of, you know, critical thinking skill. I've never felt, maybe it's just me who's lacking it, but I have never felt any edge over my colleagues in terms of critical skills. If okay. any, I would say most of our clients are, you know, foreign entities, right? So the fact that I've spent so much time abroad gave me a much more comfort in, you know, combination with clients. So, you know, you're more comfortable with the culture, you're more knowledgeable the culture, you mm-hmm. know, what to say, you know how to with the clients and communicate with the clients and you know clients are people too right they're not just your client when they give you work when you work together and yes it's a client but a career in law is more than just you know churning out legal advices after legal advice, right there's a mm-hmm. client management aspect to that so you are required to communicate and client manage and sometimes you, know, you have to socialize with clients as well
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i think if I have to say one thing that studying abroad gave me an edge over my colleagues and I think I am more comfortable in doing that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that I've been abroad for quite some time gave me um, more things to talk about when I'm put in that situation, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know...
2: You're able to build that rapport. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. So you, you can talk you have more of a story to tell really right yeah. when you put that decision because i'm sure you know when you have to socialize and help to make small talks you know sometimes you are <laughs> you're dying for that topic to talk about but sometimes you just can't find one um yeah. but i think for yeah. me because i have such a let's say interesting background so i think it gave us plenty of things to talk about
2: Yeah. For example, like over the weekend, you attended a podcast. You were. I know this is of one podcast. of the things that I want to be <laughs> talking about like the next time I talk to you. Yeah. So oh, how like, was oh, your <laughs> weekend? Oh, it was great. I was just the uh, podcast guest of this prestigious podcast. Golden in guest. Yeah, you know, fifty million Corvo views Combrain. each episode. Um, okay, cool. You <laughs> T- 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 not laugh at that?
3: I want to ask something. Okay, go ahead. Daniel. Did you ever consider a career in law in the UK?
1: I thought about that, but I've never really pursued that seriously. Mm. So I've never really, I think if I really wanted to have that, I would have played out my education career much differently. So I think the first few years of my bachelor degree, I think I was just trying to survive. Like, oh, let's get this bachelor degree done and then go home and do what I want. Right, and then I thought, oh, let's look into that options of having a you know legal career in in the UK. Then that would have been too late because to, to get a legal career in the UK, it's very competitive, and then there's a lot of things to it—not just the rates, but you know, internships, work experience, etc. Open days, and then you know connections and networking. I'm <laughs> quite a lazy person, so uh, I think by the time that I thought about that, that would have been a bit too late. Yeah. Uh, and then that combined with the fact that I that, that's just too much work. So I just kind of like have actually doing it. I, I think I submitted like two or three applications, but obviously uh, I didn't get any offer. So I just came back.
2: Mm-hmm. And so you went through the academic journey. Now you're working in legal. Mm-hmm. What's something that really hasn't met your expectation? Because you mentioned, you know, a lot of people are influenced by the media. They look at all these barristers um, banging the table, jumping up. I object, Your Honour. What is something that, you know, when you're actually in the industry now, you realise, oh, it's not something that I expected.
1: I think, yeah, I think that, that may be one of them, right? Because you look at these, a lot of people are exposed to that image of being a lawyer. You are in the courtroom, room. Objection, mm-hmm. things like that, or that thrill, that excitement of, you know, trying to outplay your counterparty, things like that. Yeah. But one, it exists in very limited fields of law, and even if in that case, I don't think it's going to be that exciting. Mm-hmm. So you have to prepare to for that disappointment because I work in banking finance, right? So most of the time I'm just writing advices and um, reading contracts and that's it. In banking finance, so say example, usually people use like, you know, standard templates of the um, Don market association. So there's not much of a negotiation, right? Cause it's, standardized and then closes out standard and the market practice. So there's not a lot of like negotiation
2: or there's not a lot of... Debating and arguing and yeah.
1: Yeah, there, there, there is still negotiation, but mostly it's, just, you know, commercial and you work it out with the counterparty. But most of the time there is no like, oh, trying to outplay your... Counterparty party or whatever there's no there's none of that thrill that excitement it's just a lot of manual work it's just a lot of manual boring work and i think people should be prepared for that if you think about korean law because mm-hmm. very likely you will be doing a lot of boring manual
2: work mm-hmm. okay thanks for being frank about that because obviously you know i appreciate that probably some of the listeners are considering a korean law as well and it's mm-hmm. important to look past the glamour that is shown on TV, um, to be realistic about the industry. Um, Okay, so Long, your favourite topic now. How Kian met his partner? Do you wanna ask?
3: (laughs) Yes, yes, I do want to ask. How do you meet your partner?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not robotic at all. Um, So we, as I've shared, um, we work in the same law firm. It's just that like I work from the Hanoi office and he works from the Ho Chi Minh City office. Can we have a name for this
2: person, please? So that we don't... Uh, let's
1: just say my boyfriend. So if I break up with this one, I
0: don't know how
2: to... <laughs> <laughs> you don't
1: know how to. you get to substitute that with anyone, anybody. So, like I mentioned just now, I, before I joined Baker McKenzie, well, what I did was, a lot of this resolution modules and courses, right? I actually interned at the Vietnam, International Arbitration Center. So that's kind of what I thought I was going to be doing.
2: That's kind of close to your one of the fifty guys.
1: Yes, I know, I know. That's <laughs> that's the career path that I was sure I was going to be doing. And then I joined Vicker and I was put in, you know, banking and finance. I was happy with that. I was happy doing banking and finance. It was it was nice. But you know, I thought about, oh, what if I just try to have that dispute resolution as a side uh, gig. Um, so I signed up for like, you know, this, this resolution group and be like, oh, if you have anything you want to me to assist with, uh, then, you know, just let me know. Mm-hmm. So the, I think the the head of the practice group back then, um, she had this idea for like internal training on this resolution. So mm-hmm. she, oh, and my boyfriend works in dispute resolution. Mm-hmm. So we, um, she divided us into groups.
0: And mm-hmm. then we're supposed yeah. to be
1: presenting on like certain issues when it comes to, uh, dispute resolution. So there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I think we were put together and we were doing, we we're supposed to be doing arbitration and mediation. Mm-hmm. So we started working on that. And then that's how we knew each other. Mm-hmm. That's, we started working mm-hmm. and we started, I think it was just like very briefly though, and we didn't really get much uh contact done back then. Mm-hmm. But then that's how we I knew of his existence and we knew each other's existence. Um I think a few mm-hmm. years later we had this retreat, this firmware retreat. So traditionally for Baker McKenzie, when we have our retreat, um we will break the employees into teams. Then we you have to prepare a performance. And then uh we were also put in the same team and then we were elected the team leader so I was put as a team leader for Hanoi, and he was put a team leader for Ultimate City. So we have to work together to work out a script and performances. Sounds like night. Um uh, So yeah, and and we, we started talking a lot and it, it's more casual, right? When it comes to like, you talk about, you know, scripts and like how, what to dance, yeah. what to do, you know, what to sing to. So it started getting more cool. casual and then, yeah, we started talk more and then one
2: thing you to another, yeah. Things got heated, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the microwave. <laughs> I'm wondering, how do you know if the other person has the same sexual orientation as you?
1: When you have been gay for so long, you have that radar, I think. Hmm. I go in life by this approach where I take people by what they say they are right so if you come to me and tell me that oh you are straight then i will just take your words for i will just think of you as straight doesn't matter what i've heard or what you know how
2: you present yourself to be mm-hmm. right mm.
1: and i also always work on the assumption that someone is straight until they tell me otherwise
2: straight until proven otherwise <laughs>
1: yeah
2: until they tell <laughs> me you otherwise is the legal
1: term <laughs> um, so i think when we first talk, I didn't think of him as, like, a potential romantic interest or anything. He, he was just a really fun colleague to be talking
2: to. I'm so sorry. I'm so confused now. You said there was some sort of radar. Your radar, was it working?
1: Yeah, but I, I was going <laughs> into that. And then and then um, at one point, you know, we we, we added each other on Facebook, right? Oh. That's when you started to go naturally. When you, after you have someone on Facebook, you have to... Do some stooping. So I look at his photos. and be like, okay, you know, this guy may be gay, just that. And then at, at that point, he was ping still. Ping. You know, <laughs> 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 Ooh, what if? But at that point, though, I think I still thought of him as just a very fun colleague to be talking to. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I think I was still dating other people, dating as in go on dates with other people back then. And we talk about those kind of things like, very openly. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, for a very long time, we were just very good colleagues. But well, when you look through a, a person's Facebook and you look at his posts and what he shares, what he likes, you can kind of form a impression. Initial hypothesis. <laughs> yeah, on, on this person's <laughs> sexuality. So that's what I thought. Uh, after the Facebook and after conversation, a lot of conversation, Mm. I don't think he's ever told me that, oh, hey, I'm gay. You have ways of telling people that you're gay without having to tell people that you're gay. right?
0: Mm.
1: Um, You can say, oh, I have a date on Grindr today or something. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm.
1: That implies that you're gay. You don't have to be like, hey, I'm gay. I don't remember what exactly that he said, but I think one of the things that he mentioned um, was something like that
2: after that you know. And his colleagues in Ho Chi Minh City, they were all aware of this before you guys started talking, was it? Or...
1: I think it depends. Um, you know how Vietnamese, not just Vietnamese people, but a lot of people are quite oblivious to, a lot of people doesn't have that good of a gaydar, right?
2: I, I, I think one of those uh. people are in this conversation right here. <laughs> no,
1: no, like, like, for long, right, he's okay, but he doesn't know how to talk about these issues.
0: Uh-huh. But yeah. a lot
1: of people that I've met, their gay is really bad. I think it, it's it again. It's from the from the lack of education and exposure to the community.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: for my boyfriend though, you people keep telling me that they can't really tell if they just like hang out with him for not too long. Yeah. So I think not a lot of people knew before we started to like very openly date. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's in the closet or anything really. Mm -hmm. Because after we date, I don't think he had to like come out or anything. It's quite, people just knew that we were dating. Mm -hmm.
3: And he's based in Ho Chi Minh City, right? That's right. So that's, this is sort of a long distance relationship then. Yeah. Although there's no time zone differences. So that's... Funny thing though,
1: I think I've turned out, I've always thought of long distance relationship as a deal breaker. And I think I've broken many deals because of the fact that it's, it's going to be a long distance relationship. I don't think any of those have been a Hanoi Ho Chi Minh City. let mm-hmm. just say medium distance, but it it has always been a um, deal breaker for me actually, and it's a lot of work. It still it still is a lot of work. Yeah. And I I think I, I did tell my boyfriend before we even dated. I said, oh, I don't do long distance. I just generally I say, as a side note, uh, I don't do long distance things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But <laughs> I think after a while, I don't know what happened though, but after a while, we and yeah, two years later. Oh, it's it's been so long.
2: Colleagues with benefits then. Modern benefits with spousal benefits and privilege. Wait, what? Spouse already. <laughs>
1: Oh, I would keep saying that we, we have spousal privilege because, you know, okay. you can't testify against other person when you go to court, if you are yeah. spouses.
2: <laughs> and what's it like being an openly gay person in a corporate environment in Vietnam?
1: It's an interesting question. It depends on... Again, depends on the the workplace, all right? Mm-hmm. This sounds like a, a promotion for, for, for my firm, but <laughs> in Becker, we are committed <laughs> to provide inclusive
2: and Yo, Kian, diverse... can you uh, maintain eye contact? You're reading off some screen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, boss, if you're listening, uh, I didn't know this until quite recently when I joined some of the initiatives, but Becca McKenzie committed to a diverse and inclusive environment. So I think that's the general environment in Becca is quite, I wouldn't say homophobia-free, but it's... Mm-hmm you know, LGBT friendly. Yeah. So for me and for gay people in, uh, for LGBT people in our firm, Mm. there's no need to censor yourself or to, I mean, you still have to like keep certain things out for, to keep that professionalism, right? Yeah. But there's no need Mm. to like, you know, be in the closet or conceal or like, other than a personal choice. That's great. Yeah. So you don't feel compelled at work to like, conceal that. Unless you want to, and then it's it's a different thing,
0: yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: But just, our firm wouldn't make you so that you have to conceal it. I I can't speak for other, um, you know, workplaces though, so, and I know of a few workplaces I've heard which are quite quite unfriendly actually, and you know, you have to be in the closet there. And I I would imagine that that's going to be quite horrible.
2: I mean, the hypothesis here is if you're an international firm, then you tend to be more receptive towards this because normally these sort of policies would trickle down from group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but those sort of corporate environments that you're referring to, do they tend to be more Vietnamese-based local firms?
1: Um, not really, no.
2: Based on the stories that you've heard.
1: Uh, the stories that I heard uh, is from an international firm.
2: Oh, bloody so, hell, okay. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so that is not... But we have a lot of international firms which are very committed to you know providing that as well. So like KPMG, mm-hmm. PwC, are very active mm-hmm. in like, in, 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 you know, the LGBT, uh cause. Yeah. Uh, but you know, mm-hmm. still we have a lot of other firms that, that I've heard stories of that are, you know, not as friendly mm-hmm. or worse you know, it's a bit unfriendly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it depends on the workplace and the attitude. And I think it comes down to the attitude and the approach of management, right? Mm. If management takes the view that it has to implement a zero tolerance policy for discrimination, then the workplace will, you know, not automatically but naturally there will be a shift in the stance of people are. even if they, people themselves are, you know, homophobic but mm. there wouldn't be any of that that blatant hostility that I've heard of some other, you know, workplaces. Yeah. Um, so I think for the workplace, the most important thing is, you know, your colleagues can be supportive but you can't make everybody be supportive of you, right? So to to have that environment, a safe environment, it, it comes down, the most important thing, it has to come down from uh, management attitude towards the issue.
3: And another aspect I want to ask is how about dating a colleague? So in, in my company, I need to to read up on my conduct policy, but I think this this is something not encouraged. So dating someone in your same team, for example, because it uh, it affects with your objectivity, right? Yeah. And how you interact and work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, your boyfriend is not in the same team no. as yourself.
1: No, we're not in the same team. Um, I will have to check our policy as well. But <laughs> as far as I know, we do not have a policy that prevents... Uh, wait, what's the word? In office? Into office dating? Off- dating within the office. Yes. I don't think there's any policy against that. We used to have a joke that, um, well, our management, uh, our director, uh, he was joking about how if you get married within the firm, then he will give the uh, the couple a double-sided fridge. Oh. And it has happened before. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So uh, in a sense, you can interpret that as encouraged, right? Because yeah. you get incentive for getting married within the firm. yeah So yeah, I don't think there's anything that Prohibits people from dating within the office.
2: Mm. So that's within the office. What about family-wise?
1: Family-wise, what do you mean?
2: So, do your parents have a view in terms of you dating a colleague?
1: No, I don't think so. They have more of a view of me dating a man than a
2: colleague. Okay. So it's less so about someone within the company. Yeah, they're not worried about you know lapse of concentration or whatnot.
1: No, 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 no. I think um, the fact that my boyfriend is a boy uh, has you know taken up all of their. Attention from everything
2: else. So, how are your parents' reactions or responses these days to your boyfriend now?
0: Um,
2: because you obviously told me that story, right, when we were in Vietnam.
1: My dad, we don't, I don't, I still don't mention my boyfriend, my boyfriend in front of my dad, right? My mom, when she when she first found out, oh, she hated my boyfriend. She thought that my boyfriend <laughs> induced me into the dark side. So she never said this <laughs> to me, but she told my it's sister this,
0: <laughs> yeah. And then she Join told the my sister heart this heart.
1: and she like, Oh my God, he, um, Oh my God, he, what's the word? He oh, induced my son and made him chose wrong
0: path, that bastard. And my sister was like, why are you calling him a bastard? And she's like, he's a bastard. I think my sister's like,
1: no, don't call him a bastard. (laughs) Uh, I think my mom is a bit better now because she's come to accept the fact that I'm gay a bit. I think at the back of her mind, she still had that wishful thinking that, oh, I would somehow, you know, one day wake up and turn straight. And it's entirely possible, right? That one day would wake up and, you know, fall in love with a girl. So she she has that wishful thinking, but I think she has more or less accepted that that fact now but she she still doesn't really like my boyfriend much i think it's still from the fact that you know it hinders my progress of turning back to the light
2: things like that Mm -hmm. and have they met recently recently no are they going to meet any (laughs) time in the next i don't know near term (laughs) what is near give me a, a time period uh six months time oh no not six months not six months okay <laughs> i think I, like I was in, i was thinking five years maybe are you being real or is that sarcastic
1: no, no, no I, I i mean i'm a i want everything i say to be safe so a safe estimation would be five years mm. i think within the next five years it's very likely that i that they will meet right not my
2: dad But then I thought earlier in the podcast, you said that you're reaching an age where you want to start thinking about having kids.
1: Exactly. Hmm. So I was going to say five years. I mean, yeah, five years. I'm young, right? I'm 28. 28. Five years is what? 33? So, Matt?
3: So, yeah. You want to have kids?
1: I do want to have kids, yes.
2: All right, this is the. (laughs) 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 you can go have a nap I'm just going to make some coffee and tea and we can come back to the podcast and then Long no, okay. you. let me
1: do let me do your work for you Long oh okay, no. have... Long's long face is so red right now oh my let god let me elaborate on my answer Then I want to have kids um, oh my but Again, okay, this is one of the issues for gay people right because how do you have kids Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite difficult because it's something that you have to think about. I, I don't think I'm going to ever let my boyfriend listen to the podcast. Um, it, it's, it's quite, it's a difficult, difficult issue. And it, it's one of the biggest issues that you have to think about when you want to have a family when you're gay. Right. Do you want to have kids? Do your partner want to have kids? kid? Uh, how do you want to have the kid? Mm-hmm. If you both want kids, mm-hmm. how are you having it if one of you don't want kids then, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of communication. So the first thing you have to do is to communicate all of these things with your partner and set expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally want to have kids. I think my my boyfriend also wants to have kids. <laughs> we, uh, we Knowing us, right, we never really talk about these things because it's too serious for us. We are both, right? Um, I think it's our defense mechanism. we do going to talk about serious uh, uh, things.
2: I'll help you uh mr boyfriend can you comment down in the youtube video what you think because kian's already shared his perspective <laughs> he's right. not
1: gonna listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah i want to have kids but i don't want to have kids before me and my boyfriend become officially become a family right mm-hmm. i know a lot of people who are like oh just have kids now and then, um you know after a while you you meet uh, you meet the person you want to you know, settle down with, and you sort that out between yourself. I don't want to do that. I want us to be a family first before we have the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, kid, and then bracket S, bracket. But then that follows with, you know, how do you have that? And then whose kid's going to be? As with the assumption that by that time, you know, science remains the same. You can't, you know, create a kid out of the DNA of two men. Then how do you have that kid, right?
2: Can you then, help? Yeah, can you provide the different options so that it helps long to figure out.
1: I mean, it's, that's an option, right? You take the specimen of one of you guys and then mix it with the specimen of another woman. Yes. Yeah. But then biologically, that would be the kid of only one of you, right? Mm. So then it's an issue. Then you keep asking, then oh, would the other person really think of
2: that as his mm-hmm. kid? It gets complicated, mm. huh? Yeah. It
1: gets a bit complicated, right? That's another mm. option, though. You can, I, I know a couple who, you know, who goes might be one each option, right? You get one, mm. one keep for each
2: person. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Yeah.
1: But then the question still remains do, can yeah. you love them as your own? Then, you know, obviously you will say that yes, I can, but when it really comes down to that, will you be able to do that? It's a lot to think about. And I mean, I want to have kids, but I don't want to have kids before I, me and my boyfriend have been able to, assuming that we are settled down. uh, I don't want to have kids before we can settle all of that questions to the satisfaction of both of
2: us. And there's also adoption as Cameron Mitchell in Modern Family.
1: Exactly, there's adoption, but I, Personally, I don't, uh, I wouldn't prefer adoption. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I remember that episode when they were discussing, you know, to choose specimen from who and, you know, and things like that. But I, I don't know if there is such a service. So you need to find a woman yeah. and you need to have her for nine months. Right. Is that how it works?
1: I think it depends on the arrangement. Uh, I just say in Vietnam, it's not legal in Vietnam.
2: Uh, you have oh, to do yeah. it right, I think, I uh, think it's legal have, in Thailand
1: isn't it? I think it's yeah it's legal in Thailand so a lot of people do it in Thailand uh, th- there's a lot of different options as far as I know I just want to give you a few, a few options I, I've heard of obviously I've never used any of them yeah. so I don't know if it's true I've never discussed these issues with the people that were doing it but I heard about these options so the first one is Thailand so you go to Thailand and I think you just pick out one of them, and then they take a specimen, and then nine months later, they give you the child,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: I'm not sure if doing that nine months, you will have to have any sort of maintenance work, but that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, in the US, there's another option, like you see in Modern Family, where you just fill out adoption, but that's adoption, you fill out adoption papers, and then the mom will choose from the applications. And if she picks you when she gives birth, you get the kids, right? And then obviously there's the option where you just find a woman who agrees to do it for you and you put specimen there <laughs> and then uh, yeah. And then you whatever the original between you guys is and then when she gives birth, um yeah, that's your kid. But it's there's a lot yeah. of legal issues that comes with it, to be honest. I happen to consider it from the legal side of that. I mean, but yeah, a lot issue that comes. the country.
2: Have these conversations been had with your mom? I'm sure not with your dad, but with your mom? Not with
1: my mom, no. I think with my mom, um, the furthest extent we've had is I just said, if you want a kid, it can be arranged. Because, you know, when if my dad gives me the ultimatum, or if my parents, for that matter, gives me the ultimatum, right, you have to have the kid. And, I mean, it can be arranged, right? right? It's, it's not like asking me to like you know become invisible to know how to fly it, it's it's possible and it's doable right it's just a lot of yeah you know it's it's a hassle and then there's a lot of work to be done it's expensive and then it doesn't really go with my kind of you know settling down first and have a kid. but that can be done so I think that's the furthest as we, we've gotten with my moms I say if, the kit is not an issue because if the ultimatum if I really need to have one, if my parents really need to have one,
0: I
2: mean,
1: I think it can be quite easily arranged.
2: Hmm. Okay, have okay. you ever spoken to your partner's parents? I've met them at my partner's college when we went to <laughs> the US. <laughs> oh, they're in the US, they are. Oh, they're not in Ho Chi Minh City, no, okay, and did they call you a bastard afterwards or what? <laughs> <laughs> to my
1: face, I'm sure they called me bastard like among themselves.
2: Is he experiencing, you know, the same situation as you or is the family receptiveness slightly different?
1: Uh, I, I don't think he told
2: his dad yet. Okay, so it's so, <laughs> quite similar to you.
1: Quite a similar. So I, I think, I mean, this is why I, I'm quite thankful for this boyfriend because we get, the other person's situation quite well, right? Because mm. we are generally in the same situation. And he, he's, he's also Vietnamese. Uh, he's, you know, American Vietnamese, but he's Vietnamese. So like, like we, like we said, you know, previously in a Vietnamese family, the dynamics are quite different to database, yeah, an American, uh, like an American American family, right?
0: Yeah. So I,
1: I can't imagine if I dated like a, like a person who's not Vietnamese or sort of like a better description Asian, with the same sort of expectations and values. Would my boyfriend then be the understanding of my responsibilities towards my family's or not, if you catch on saying.
2: Yeah. Does he have any siblings? He has one older brother. And the elder brother, are they, are they on the same no, page? No, 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 he's straight <laughs> On the same page. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, like, are, are they are they aware of the situation? I'm sure they I'm are. Not-
1: I'm not sure, actually. Um, I'm I'm actually not sure. I don't think we talked about his brothers a lot. Uh, Like, I don't talk about my sister a
2: lot. Yeah, Cool. I think that's all of my questions. I just have one final question from my end. We've asked you a lot about the topic of LGBT and what it's like for you through your experience in the uk as well as coming back to vietnam what is the one question that we have not asked but you would like to answer
1: i think i was going to say this but then i think i drifted it off as per usual it goes with studying law in the uk right mm-hmm. i get this question a lot should i study law in the uk mm. we, we discussed it briefly back then if you are certain that you will after you know Doing your law degree, you will immediately go back to Vietnam to work. Then you probably shouldn't be pursuing that. But then there's another aspect to that as well. So I think I think looking back at my entire academic career, right? Law academic career, I think the entire the entire process was a failure. I think if I had known better, I would have done things differently. So we talked a bit about how I said, if I knew that I was going to think about staying in the UK afterwards and I would have did my bachelor differently, right? Mm. That's what I want to say. So before you commit to a course, then think about what you expect to get out of it and what you want. And is it really necessary to your career development and your career path, right? So take my bachelor, for example, if I knew that I was gonna apply to be in the UK, I would have, you know, focused more on studying. I would have, you know, tried to get more placements, more work experience and really put my mind into that. Right. You know, you you both went through all that so you know the drill, right? You have to like mm-hmm. do all these applications and then open days and then since like what year one, year two, right? Yeah. After that it comes to my postgraduate where I, I, I went straight into doing the legal practice schools and then I went after that I went straight into doing the masters. I think if I was doing my master's now and my legal practice now, I would have gotten so much more out of it mm. than I did that back then because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have any insight into the legal career. I didn't have any insight into what you do as a legal position at all. Yeah. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, oh, what all of these Works Because, you know, for example, the legal practice course, right, they make you do all of these forms, make you do all these bot minutes, things like that. Hmm. And I didn't know what all of these are for. Yeah. So if I knew what it was going to be doing afterwards, if I had the, that five years of experience now and then going to doing a legal practice course and the master's, mm-hmm. obviously I would have chosen my subjects, my modules differently. Right? and then I would have yeah. gotten so much more out of it instead of having a bunch of like mm-hmm. random knowledge on commercial and trade law and not having not using them at all and I would have to know you know what's the the implication the impact of the things that they're teaching us to be doing mm-hmm. then right so because I have a lot of people asking me oh should I be doing a master's? should I be doing a legal practice school? should i be doing that yeah. you know straight after the bachelor degree I always tell them you know don't don't go straight. If you can, don't go straight into doing that. You know, have a few years of working first and then see what you really like. See if the, the, the area of law that you are doing is really the one that you want to be doing. If not, what would that be? What would you want to be? Or what would you want to know more about? Or mm. if you really want to be doing law at all. Because if I was doing a master's, I wouldn't be doing a master's in law because I don't think it helps with the professional. Because what I want to be is to, to work for a law firm. Right, so I don't think a master's really help with that, unless you want to be going to academic to you know to teach or to be a researcher. Then it's a different story.
2: I'm going to be an asshole here, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. Mm. To what extent do you think that having your master's and your other degree helped you to get your career in Baker McKenzie in the first place? I think
1: I think it helped. I think it gives my my profile
2: that boost, right? Yeah, An impression, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, this guy, he did that he had a bachelor and then he has a master's at the OPC. So obviously that would give me, I guess, an edge when it comes to the selection process. But then I can't really say that, oh, without that, I wouldn't be able to get a career at Baker McKenzie, right? Or at all, because it doesn't have to be at Baker McKenzie, right? It it, it can be at... You know, anyway, you should spend a few years you know, working and really figure out what you want to do yeah. or what you want for yourself before committing to that next, you know, higher level of education. Mm-hmm.
2: To be more laser focused on your topic of choice. Yeah,
3: exactly. Okay. So last two questions. So Kian, this is our golden guest signature question here. If you could go back in time and tell your younger self one sentence, when would you go back and what would you say?
1: I think I would go back to myself in 2010. That's my first year in university. And uh-huh. tell yeah. me what I shared just now. Mm. Figure out what you want to do in life five years from now. And then, you know, act accordingly.
3: Mm. I see. And the uh, last question that we had for you is, if you have anyone that you would recommend to be a golden guest on our podcast?
1: <gasps> anyone? It doesn't have to be um it has to be realistic, right?
2: Well you can recommend <laughs> or cheap if you want.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, normally like the criteria is pretty straightforward, right? It's it's someone who can speak English <laughs> and mm. and has knowledge of a pocket of area in Vietnam. Okay.
1: Uh if I have to recommend one person to be on your podcast. I think I would recommend my boyfriend, actually.
2: Hmm. I'm surprised you took that long to choose a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that would just be an immediate suggestion.
1: No, because you know what? Because this is what I don't think that I do well enough. I don't put myself in people's shoes often enough. Because I I know all about my boyfriends, right? So I don't think there's anything about him that I would find interesting now, because I know everything now. right? There's nothing that I would be like, oh, that's so interesting. Because I know everything. But then now that I think about it, yeah, I think it's very interesting, you know, you know a video. Yeah. yeah. How 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 does it feel, you know, setting Vietnam and the, his perspective on that?
3: Yes. Okay, cool. Definitely. Thank you.
2: Look, Kian, thank you so much for being our golden guest. I mean, we've spoken to each other for, what, three hours, and it has been absolutely eye-opening and very educational, especially for me. Uh, Long, how do you feel?
3: <laughs> uh, yes, very, very eye-opening. Is it head-opening? Uh, brain opening
2: no it's eye opening oh my god, <laughs> right. god that's, that's why I'm rounding up the podcast <laughs> um, and yeah thank you so much for playing a role as well in raising awareness and you know educating our listeners and the rest of the community more about the LGBT community that's all of our podcasts with Kian please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Convo Comrades we're on all possible podcast platforms spotify youtube apple podcast as for now bye bye